everybody and welcome to another episode of laws and grace i'm laws i'm grace and today we're here with candy and i am so excited to have candy because candy is a longtime friend of mine uh at least high school right yeah i think we go back to high school theater lots of nonsense in high school and candy is the deputy director of the democratic party of oregon she also is a mother of dogs <laughs> a two dogs um and a camp as in summer camp boy scout camp other outdoor camp um enthusiast and anything else the people should know about you I know. I think that was really good. I'm a I'm a camp activist. I think uh, yes. uh, evangelist maybe is a good word. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, one of our well, we worked together at a summer camp for the YMCA. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about how that happened? And I don't know how I got there, but how did you get there? Yeah. So you know, I uh, when I was in high school, you know, I, I loved the outdoors and all that good stuff. And my dad and my brother were both involved with the Boy Scouts, and I think Lauren, your brothers were too. Mm-hmm. Um, and they went away to summer camp and came home like on Saturday, and were like, "Oh, this camp is like way understaffed. They're looking for staff." do you want to go work at Boy Scout camp all summer? And I was like, do I, a 15-year-old girl, want to go work <laughs> at a Boy Scout camp all summer? Yes. <laughs> so uh, then literally the next day I got in the car and drove back to camp and uh, that kind of like started my like love with with camp. And of course, you know, the, there were cute boys, but um, really it was like this like life-changing, life-affirming experience of like being independent and figuring stuff out and having like a, a job where you're, you know, being a camp counselor is kind of a crazy thing because I think so many people are like, oh, it's just a job for teens. And it is, but it's also, you know, you have to do so much problem solving and like have some autonomy, which at that age, so many of us have our parents or teachers or folks that want to treat us like children. So I think it was a really valuable bridge for me between like being a child and going away to college. And so then I came back after my first year in college and was a director of YMCA camp and we were looking for people and Lauren was looking for a job. And I said, do you want to come work at summer camp? (laughs) And she said, "Uh, that sounds crazy. And she did. (laughs) And she was great at it, even though it was crazy. (laughs) It was a little crazy. I forgot you were 15 when you first worked at the Boy Scout camp. What kind of stuff were you doing? Uh, Yeah. So Boy Scout camp is really weird because like all the kids come with their adults. So like they come as like a whole Boy Scout troop. So it's not so much like bunk checks and things like that. It's we teach like classes. So they come to camp and we have a schedule for the day of all the different things they can do. And they sign up for classes and then they earn badges, like their merit badges. So my first summer I worked on the archery range and I taught wilderness survival and leather working. <laughs> and uh, then, you know, as the years went on, I ended up, you know, kind of being like an area director of the area where we did wilderness survival and camp craft and, you know, camp cooking and backpacking. And um, I also did some of the like fun, silly merit badges, like, well, wood carving and basket weaving and, you know, that kind of stuff. It was really fun. And, uh, you know, but we had, you know, um, kind of the metrics of they have to know how to do these things by the end of the week. And so it was our responsibility to make sure that by the end of the week, they had done all of those things so they could sign off on their merit badge and and get those badges that they need to advance through the levels in scouting. So it was cool because we had a lot of freedom, but also we had this responsibility that, you know, we're teaching these folks life skills that they can take on. And really weird because as a young woman, you know, Boy Scouts are between like 11 and 18. So sometimes I was working with little kiddos who I would have babysat back home and sometimes I'm like bossing around guys my own age um which I think was pretty really formative and really valuable (laughs) for me (laughs) and you still are probably yeah um so were you like learn like leather working how did you learn about that so that you could teach it 
literally learned it while I was teaching it. You know, you like read through the book and it's like, okay, it says you do this. And, you know, basket weaving was a real weird one because that's not, you know, that's not a skill set that I uh, really needed. <laughs> but uh, we got really into our, you know, underwater basket weaving and putting on like the snorkels and getting in the lake at camp and, you know, making it fun and silly. But, um, but other skills obviously are more serious. So, you know, wilderness survival and making sure that, you know, I would spend time on the weekends because there was no cell reception at camp back in those days, um, you know, watching YouTube videos of how do I build this kind of shelter? How do I do this kind of thing? Because you want to make sure that you're not teaching people things that are going to get them killed if they are actually in a survival situation. So, um, and at that time we were also in the era of like Survivor Man and Bear Grylls being like very popular. So also these like 12 year old boys would come in with like hot takes of how to stay alive in the woods and we'd have to do some reprogramming. But Like drinking their own urine. Yeah, like, or like, oh, I'll just eat a raw snake. And it's like, oh, so you <laughs> wanna be dead is what you're saying, you know? Um, but we did okay. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard some stories, yeah, from my brother and dad. My dad was a scoutmaster, scout leader at one point. And, uh, yeah, a lot of, like, uh, knife safety was, like, seemed to be an important mm -hmm. one to teach. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to have your, like, safety circle where you, like, yes. go all the way around and make sure you won't accidentally cut anyone before you. He's an, oh, my goodness. It was so silly. But, um, yeah, it was. You know, so there, there's all those practical skills where it's like, oh, now I know how to do these, you know, I know how to shoot a bow and arrow and how to clean a rifle and how to do all those things, but also just the human skills of, you know, commanding a room and, and holding your ground when an old scoutmaster wants to know why the little boy didn't get signed off on things. And you have to be like, well, he spent the whole week actually skipping class and going to the lake, so I didn't sign off on his <laughs> you know, um, and again, uh, it's much better now. Um, I will say that when I was at camp, there were like two women on our staff of 50. Um, and I went back to visit right before the pandemic. It was like the 100 year anniversary of the camp and half the staff were women. And now actually, because girls are allowed to be in scouts, um, there were girls there as campers. So it's just, you know, it's been a real transition. But at that time, there's definitely like, from scoutmasters and older people, there was actually a lot more misogyny than I dealt with with the kids. Um, um, and that's part of why I went on to work for the YMCA after, you know, I had worked for the scouts for years because I had worked there for four summers and was reapplying re to come back. And they're like, oh, well, you can come back, but we have a new uh, camp director and he thinks that you should be the dining hall director. And I'm like, mm, no, thanks. <laughs> and so I went to work for the YMCA and then Lauren came to work at the YMCA. Uh, so that was kind of a weird, a weird time in my life, but, um, but I'm also glad that I knew that that was not the right place for me to be anymore if they were going to have a change in leadership that meant I apparently had real high dishwashing skills. Um, Stay in the kitchen, literally. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Um, so yeah. That's like quite the like first job that, you know, like 15 year old job, you learn like a lot of stuff. So that's yeah. pretty pretty impressive yeah and like moving away from home you know and being you know it's like oh I have to do my own laundry and like make my own bed and no one's going to tell me what time is bedtime <laughs> you have to figure out like oh if I stay up till one in the morning hanging out then I have to still get up at 6 a.m to like go do flag service or whatever so um so you know you learn <laughs> quickly <laughs> So how does one go from working at the YMCA to like politics? Yeah. So I, um, so I went away to college and I actually got my degree in youth and camp program management. I thought I was going to like be working camps for the rest of my life. But then as I think many of us do, I graduated from college and realized that there's actually no money in that at all. Like not even enough money to pay your bills. <laughs> so um, I worked, I did some some seasonal work for the Y for years. You know, I kind of did their before and after school programs and then went to camp and then kind of went back and forth in that. And then it just kind of was unsustainable. Um, so I started working in um, other healthcare billing and like 
I worked at a treatment center for a while. <laughs> and but through all of that time, I was still politically engaged. And um, I really got involved in politics when we were in high school. I'm um, in Oregon in 2004, we passed or, well, not we, there was a ballot measure that banned gay marriage. And I had worked on that campaign, obviously trying to not ban gay marriage. And we lost that campaign. And that was really heartbreaking. Um, and so from then on, I was just kind of engaged in the background as a volunteer. And um, an event happened uh, in, in Oregon, um, like a political event that I volunteered at. And the person whose job I ended up taking, I had quit right before the event and I showed up as a volunteer and just started like bossing people around, which is not surprising to Lauren at all. Um, and working with, you know, folks who I had known kind of as like a staff volunteer relationship, but suddenly like there were just gaps that needed to be filled and I started filling them. And so they asked me to apply. And so it just kind of fell into my lap. Um, I think it's getting better, but when I was first getting involved as a political worker, um, most internships and stuff were unpaid. So if you didn't have the financial ability to take an unpaid internship, there really wasn't a pathway. Um, and so for me, I just kind of always thought, oh, I'm just going to be a volunteer and I'm going to do this other work. And then, you know, I just got lucky really. Um, and that was, uh, 2015, I interviewed at the end of 2015 and started December or January 4th, 2016, uh, working for the Democratic Party. So, um, so I've been here for about six years now. So I uh, just kind of fell into my lap and I'm glad it did, but never really thought I'd be doing this work. <laughs> I feel like there's a common theme in your jobs that you just kind of were in the yeah. right place at the right time. Yeah. And, you know, I think knowing what skills were, when I went into interview, you know, knowing they would, you know, you, they, you go in for a job interview. And I think this is true for anyone who's thinking of a career change where, but I went in and they were asking me all these questions and my initial thought was like, oh, I've never done that. And then I was thinking like, oh, well, no, I've never like run a convention, but I have run a summer camp with 800 children at it. So <laughs> like finding those ways that you have applicable skills of organization and, and things like that. And then all the jargon and lingo, you know, you pick it up, you learn. And I think anyone who's figuring out a career change, I, taking that time to figure out like what are the transferable skills and what you need, what you don't know, and what you actually do know, and having that confidence in yourself. And I think that's actually something I learned at camp, right, is, oh, I, I don't know how to build a shelter, but I do know how to read. And I know how to, like, I know how to learn what I don't know. And so that gives you a lot more confidence when you move into new spaces, which has basically been the last six years of my work in politics is like, coming into it with no experience. And now I'm, you know, the deputy director of the party that isn't, you know, it's not because I like have a master's degree in political science. It's because I learned and grew and listened to people and went to trainings and figured it out. Yeah. That was a really great point. I think the ability to learn is such an important skill, especially because they're just like, yeah, people make career changes all the time now, or there's new careers that didn't exist when we were in college. Right. And so knowing how to transfer that is really important. Are there any other summer camp skills that have transferred to working in politics? <laughs> you know, I think I will just tell you when I am like looking at applications for people who want to like come work for us or I get resumes for, for campaign work. If someone tells me they worked at summer camp, I just know so much about them. <laughs> You know, if you know, you have to be very social, you have to be willing to talk to people and put yourself out there. It's really hard work. Um, you know, sometimes the hours are really long and you have to have a little bit of uh, perseverance <laughs> to stick through. So, um, so I think, you know, I think doing that kind of work, you know, it's the same as like service work or any, you know, like if you worked in like as a waitress or like as a nurse you know, those skills are all really similar. And that is something that I'm really glad more and more in the political spaces and like government spaces that folks are, folks like me are in the hiring positions now, because it means, you know, if someone, I, if someone uh, applies for a job and they're like, oh yeah, I was a waitress for 10 years. So I know I don't have any experience in politics. And I'm like, oh no, you're a waitress for 10 years. You're the exact person who should be working in politics. <laughs> right. Cause you, are able to deal with people, you're able to work really hard and you know what it's like. And like, 
to, to have to struggle a little bit. And that means that you're going to be able to relate to voters and, and having your voice at the table really matters, right? We don't, we, we don't, we have a lot of the same voices in a lot of these spaces and the more folks we can get at it that don't have, um, that don't have, you know, that silver spoon in their mouth, uh, the better. So I, I think it's all that stuff's really transferable. So what does a deputy director do? Like, can you explain to our audience kind of like what your role is in the party? Yeah. Yeah. What, what you do? Yeah. So working for a state party is really different than working um, anywhere else in politics in the country. Um, we have 57 state democratic parties that includes all the states and then the seven territories. Um, and the Democrats abroad. Um, so they all have representation at the DNC. And but we're all kind of, we're not part of the Democratic National Committee, like that's an organization, and we're kind of our own states. Uh, and we're independent organizations. And so we do a, a really wide combination of like campaign work, and then these weird spots where we overlap with government. Um, I'm really fortunate because I get to work with candidates up and down the ticket. So I work, you know, with the school board candidates and I work with the presidential campaigns. Um, that work is really varied. Like it's not like I consistently do the same thing for everyone because not everyone needs the same things. Um, in Oregon, we have a really great big staff. Um, we have 10 full-time year-round employees. So I supervise our organizing team um, and our party affairs team, um, which is the party affairs is kind of the government part, which is where we have conventions where we fill legislative vacancies or send people to the national convention to vote on behalf of Oregonians at that convention to choose the Democratic nominee. Um, we also are responsible for certifying our voters in the Electoral College and making sure they show up and vote in the Electoral College, which as you can imagine in 2020 was a doozy. Um, so, so the work is really, really varied all the time. But, um, you know, for me, it's, at the end of the day, it's making sure that everyone has access to vote, that they know who they're voting for and what those people believe in, whether, uh, and, and I think that is increasingly hard in this climate, right, where there's folks out there spreading a lot of disinformation. So it's our job to make sure folks have good information about the candidates they're voting for, and then making sure that their votes are counted. Um, and that's kind of the, like the core of all the work we do is making sure that folks vote and that we run candidates that people can believe in and that can earn their vote um, that that are going to fight for working families and, and disenfranchised communities. So it's it's a wild ride every day. <laughs> what like when you went into this job, what is like you would expect it or you had expected it to be and what has been like you never thought you'd be doing this thing? Yeah, I mean, I expected, you know, that we'd be doing like a lot of political fundraisers and helping candidates like knock on doors and things like that. And we do that, right? All that work is is there. But I have been really surprised at, you know, I think for me, it's the two parts of it where it's the first thing is like literally just what I get to do in my job, right? Like certifying our votes for the Electoral College. Like I think most until 2020, when we were talking about it all the time, most people had this esoteric idea that the Electoral College was a thing. But, you know, in the state of Oregon, the Electoral College is seven people who I had to have sign a notary document and I had to make sure they showed up in a room at the same time on the same day with our Secretary of State to vote or our presidential votes wouldn't count from the state of Oregon. And that's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> um, so I think there's things like that that were really surprising to me just to like really learn how that work happens and knowing that there is no other room where it's happening, right? It's happening where I am at. Um, but also, you know, and, and for me growing up, like I'm the child of teen parents and I grew up in a trailer park and had this life that it is also very surreal to me that I like was at the White House last week and I got to, you know, shake hands with the president and I'm on the first name basis with our governor. Like, that is something that I would have never expected. And I think it's because so often people talk about politics as this, you know, oh, people go to Harvard and they get doctorates and then they run things and realizing that when you're actually in these spaces, at least in, in the Democratic Party, I can't speak for the Republican Party, but I, I do know good folks who work in both parties, of course, but at least where I am, you know, I'm, 
I'm seeing more and more people with stories like mine being in positions of leadership. And I think that is so valuable and so surprising to have that imposter syndrome, but also, you know, hear the chairman of the DNC speaking last week at our meeting about how he was the child of a teen mom and his mom had to drop out of high school to have him. And it's like, oh, this is, these are the, you know, people like me are making these decisions, which means I belong at this table, right? We, we, there's room for all of us here. So that's been really surprising. And um, I know a lot of people have worked for a really long time to make that happen. So being able to be a part of it feels really special. We're in a really strange time right now, but it feels really special to be able to be there. Yeah, I liked what you said about um, the Electoral College. And I think we like hear these things and we kind of know like, oh, we vote and it becomes this thing and it becomes this thing. But it's like, most of us don't actually know what is going on or how many people make up the government and that it's like, yeah, you're doing this role and you're connected to all of it. Yeah. And how easy it is to really have a really big impact because so many people don't know, you know, they, you know, when, when we're having our like state central committee that decides on our rules of how we run all of these processes, we have delegates from every county in Oregon. And some of those are really competitive elections, like in Portland, right? But some of those are uncontested, right? And there's just like some guy who's doing it and he doesn't really want to do it anymore, but he wants to make sure someone's there. And if like a young mom or like person of color showed up in the room that wanted to be the delegate, he would gladly like take a seat and let that person be the person. So, I, and I, I know that's true across the country and school board elections and you know, city councils and stuff like that. Sometimes they're really competitive and hard, but a lot of times communities just need people who want to step up and do the work and you can have a really big impact. So I think it's important. Yeah, a couple elections ago, there was one, I think it was for the, um, oh my gosh, for the city council. And it was like 300 people voted for that, you know? And it's like, oh, you could, like, you could get 300 people to vote for you. <laughs> pretty yeah. easily but yeah people just there's so many things yeah there's city council there's um you know I said there's so many things and that's the only one I can think of but yeah no but city council and school boards and water boards and parks and rec boards and all of those little things that people don't really think are important and then it's like oh well when we have people on our parks and rec board that like know what it's like to be poor suddenly our registration fees are lower or we have like subsidized programs so like kids on food stamps can still play soccer, right? Like that matters. And it means that those kids have opportunities and that are gonna help them succeed. And and also those people that are on the parks and rec board in two years might decide to run to be on your city council or in your state legislature. And, and we wanna help empower those people. So, um, but yeah, I can tell you there's been so many elections <laughs> in my lifetime in Oregon and even in like the last six years that have been decided by less than 200 votes and not just citywide elections, but like legislative seats in the state legislature. Um, Kate Brown, who's the governor of Oregon now talks all the time about her very first election for state representative. She won by seven votes and now she's the governor. <laughs> so, you know, like your vote counts and your voice counts. And there's a lot of people who, you know, just don't feel like they can be engaged or don't know how to get engaged. So, you know, folks should not feel uh, be afraid to you know speak out and get involved because a lot of these folks are just not hearing from you <laughs> so they don't know what you want them to do yeah I think that's one thing it's easy to like look at it and be like oh the government this the government this but the the importance of being involved in like your local communities that's like something that I am like a big advocate for in terms of like get involved, like know who your city councilman is, you know, like know that kind of stuff. And like you said, like, depending on like your local area, there could be areas that you could contribute, but it's so easy to like distance ourselves from it and be like, well, it's, I'm not making the decisions or whatever, but what I'd love to hear kind of your like experience of how being involved has shaped your view of government. Yeah, I mean, I think it is really easy to be cynical about government and politics and, and all of those things as kind of a, a, a concept. And the 
And I, I don't want to sound naive, but I guess my experience has been, especially with local government, especially with the state legislature, I think in almost every state, um, especially the states out West, um, we do not pay our legislatures very much at all. Um, in Oregon, they make like $30,000 a year. It's supposed to be a part-time job. It is not a part-time job. Um, in, in a lot of uh, school board races and mayoral races and all those across the country, those are unpaid positions. And part of that sucks because it does mean that it is harder for folks who are not independently wealthy to run to those seats, which is a real problem that we need to talk about. But the other thing is no one is doing those jobs to get rich, right? They're doing these jobs largely because they care about their community. And I think um, what we saw, what I saw, especially through the pandemic and, and through the work um, here in Oregon, and I, I obviously can't speak to other states, but is legislators using those resources that they have in their offices and, and the staff that they have to reach out to their community, to help people, to help people figure out their unemployment claims and to do that work. And these people, a lot of them, a lot of politicians, which is such like a dirty word, they're just people who care about their community and are trying to help the best they can. And, you know, if they get 200 letters about an issue, it can change their mind and it can make them think of things in different ways. Um, I think we focus so much on some of the like broken things happening in DC and maybe politicians who aren't listening to their constituents. And I know um, that that can be really, really hard. And I hate, the thing I hate most is people saying, oh, like my vote vote doesn't count or there's nothing I can do. And it's like, well, but it does, especially on the local level, but also on the national level, right? I know members of Congress and members of the Senate who have gotten a letter from a constituent that has changed the way they think about something. Like these are, they're human beings. They have ideas and thoughts and they, those can be changed. Um, and I, I think it's, it's just so important for people to stay involved and engaged because it really can make a huge impact. Um, you know, if you think about in 2004, which is not, I know if there are young people listening to this, they're like, that is a million years ago. But for us, you know, that's really not that long ago, the state of Oregon banned gay marriage on the ballot. Could you imagine that happening in Oregon today? No, <laughs> you know, that would, that would simply not happen um, because the, the gay community got up and stood up and said, you know, this is who we are and people listened to them and, and they fought really hard and it wasn't easy, but we have changed hearts and minds to the point where this is like an issue that is making people change who they're voting for because they're hearing someone's anti-gay and they're like, oh, well, that's horrific and I would never support someone who's anti-gay even if I agree with them on other issues. You know, there are issues in, in our lifetimes, which, you know, I'm 33, I'm not 90, that have completely swung because of like public input and and changing hearts and minds of people. And I think we, we can't lose sight of that. Um, yeah, that's, I guess, that's what I think. I'm, I'm still, I'm still a dreamer. <laughs> that's really good. That's a really good reminder, though, because things have changed so much. And uh you're right like even since we've been voting you know old enough to vote in the last decade plus some more um because <laughs> uh, yeah I, I, the, the, what you said is like the number one thing that I feel like we all hear is it's like oh it doesn't matter it doesn't matter there's no control uh because a lot of things are out of our control in life and <laughs> in general um but I do think getting involved and paying, also paying attention. It's hard sometimes when these like local elections come around, you're like, I don't know who any of these people are. Like I definitely have done that. I did that the last, you know, in August with the primary that we had here in Utah. I was like, oh shoot, I don't know who any of these people are. Um, And so yeah, paying attention because then those people, they do, right? They just keep moving up or moving on to other things. And yeah. Um, so it does matter like what's going on and you can make a big impact locally. With yeah, I think things. on that note, I think also like you, you're never, there's never gonna be a candidate that's perfect and like that you agree with 100% of the time until you run for office yourself, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which is what I tell all the time. Um, and voting 
is so important and you don't also have to be an expert on like every single part of a candidate to to make a choice of who to vote for so i always say you know even me right like i work in politics and sometimes looking at my ballot and there are candidates who i know less about and i fortunately in oregon and i know in utah you guys have vote by mail which makes it a lot easier because you have time to fill out your ballot and really look at everybody but i also think it's important to like know if there's organizations in your community that you address their opinions and like thinking of a couple of those people and see who they're endorsing in races like there's easy ways to get some like clues um so you know for me it's like oh well i see that Planned parenthood and like the league of conservation voters and like you know i kind of go through my issues or you know if it's like a school board race oh who is like the teachers union supporting and who is the the who are the parents supporting and kind of thinking through that makes a big difference um in helping me kind of figure out where people are um and watching like debates for some of the bigger races when they have them is always also a really good clue because you know if somebody tells you who they are you should believe them but <laughs> um but yeah i think it, it it can be hard especially for some of those local races and that's why you know if you're a member of like an or a union or an organization that is making endorsements it's always a good idea to like see what they think and see if that impacts how you, what you think right but it's hard it's not easy always yeah those are some good tips yeah i know with school board i was like i have I, you know i'm checked out of this i don't know what's going on at the schools and so talking to some you know the parents i do know or whatever i'm like they know you know yeah. it's like the stuff that you don't know or care about there's somebody out there who does know and care and i still yeah i like would hope to make good choices even for the issues that don't directly impact me because it all does one way or another. Right. Like okay. it matters to you if your school board, you know, we had a school board in Oregon this year that banned flying pride flags and like Black Lives Matter flags and isn't allowing students to like wear rainbow things at school, right? Like that may not matter. Like I don't have kids in that school district, but it affects it affects our community and it affects like the mental health of the children in our community and that impacts me so you know i think we have to vote in all of those elections and and take the time to to do that you know what twice a year taking a, an hour or two to vote yes like but in the time. primaries like pay attention to when the primary it does vote by mail does help a lot because it just shows up um but I know a lot of people don't know when their primaries are and uh, that can matter too. Yeah. And I don't know like what states all your listeners are in, but some states are tricky and they have like multiple primaries, which is confusing to me. <laughs> so I know it's confusing to you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, keeping an eye on that is important. Also pay attention to the side that if you are someone who tends to like be more moderate or not, you know, always vote with the party pay attention to what the candidates are saying in the primary, even if you're not a member of the party, because a lot of times people say one thing's in the primary and then scrub their website going into the general. I mean, I know that in Arizona, there's a guy who like doesn't believe that 9-11 happened, who's like running for the United States Senate, but he definitely took that off of his website when he got you know? So yeah. yeah, so like crazy stuff happens all the time. So yeah. I mean- I might be misremembering that. I might not have been 9-11, but it was something like just as crazy. So mm -hmm. <laughs> where it was like, wait, hold on. I thought this was settled. <laughs> so that's, that's a really good note though, to pay attention during the primaries, even if you're not. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about when you ran for office? Sure. I ran for office. I lost. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. You know, I, so in Oregon, when a candidate resigns from a legislative seat, we have a convention to fill that seat for the remainder of the term. And I lived in Senate District 24, um, where our current Secretary of State, Shamia Fagan, was the state senator there. And so she won the general election in 2020, and that made her seat open. So I ran for that seat. Um, running for office is really hard and really weird, I think, especially if you're someone who's been like at a staff level for a long time, because you know, I obviously have opinions, but, you know, part of it is like, you know, I can't express opinions that aren't in line with what the majority, you know, I, the Democratic Party of Oregon represents a million Democratic voters, right? So I don't talk too freely about things that aren't already in our platform and aren't things we, we support in general as a party, because that would be inappropriate, right? Because I don't want to make people think like, 
oh, the Democratic Party believes this when actually it's Candy believes this. Mm -hmm. um, so I ran for office and it was um, a real adventure. Uh, conventions are weird um, because it is like a set group of precinct people that get to vote in those. Um, and it's a really small group of people. Um, they are really active and engaged in the community, which is awesome, but it was also a pandemic. So I couldn't like go knock on people's doors. You know, you can only do so much over the phone. Um, but for me, it was just really important that, you know, obviously I was running and I wanted to win, but I was also running because I think it's important to have conversations about like what it's like to be a renter because there was no one in the legislature at that time who was a renter, everyone that was a homeowner and talking about like those issues in the housing crisis. And that was like December of 2020. So it was like the middle of the pandemic and, and before people could get vaccinated. And it was just a really hard time. Um, uh, and it was also really important to me that we had uh, someone in the seat who was representative of the community and wasn't just like another old, rich millionaire person. Um, uh, so I lost the seat, but uh, the person who won it uh, is an outstanding legislator. He is um, a refugee and uh, is a Muslim American. And that is a huge part of like the East Portland community. And he's been a great Senator. And um, I've been really, really proud of the work he did and the work he's done to protect tenants and, and you do know, all of those things. So, um, so it was a really valuable experience. I don't think I'm ever gonna do it again. Um, but I think, um, but I think if you are someone who wants to run for office, what's the worst that can happen? You know, you lose, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, you know, I think if you feel like you have something to offer your community and you want to make sure that those, your issues are at the table, um, doesn't ever hurt to try. What's the time commitment? Like if somebody was going to run for an office, I guess it probably depends on the position, but like. What... Yeah, it depends on the position and it depends on like for as far as like running as a candidate, it really depends on all of those things, right? Like if you're running for a super small local seat where there's like less than a thousand voters as a candidate, you should make time to knock on every one of those voters doors, right? A thousand doors is not that many doors. Um, if you're running for like governor, you're not gonna have time to do that. <laughs> um, and some of the jobs are full-time jobs. Some of them are, you know, some some school boards are like, you know, you're, you meet like what, twice a month for a couple hours and maybe you have some homework that you do ahead of time. But again, it's all really relative because I know when COVID happened, that kind of shifted a lot of things, right? In both directions where in some rural counties, folks were driving like two hours round trip to their school board meeting because that's where it was in the county. And now they're on Zoom, so they're saving time, but also they had to have way more meetings because making all the adjustments to how school was were happening during the pandemic. So I think I think it's really, really, really variant on the position and where you're at. And um, you know, if you live in a really well-resourced county, you might have more staff that are doing work, whereas in a lower resource county, there might be more elected, like actually having to do like pulling your own reports and pulling things together. So it really can vary wildly. Um, I know our legislators in 2020 had like four special sessions be between COVID and the wildfires that, you know, normally they would have only met for the first part of the year and they ended up having to just like, keep reconvening to, to, to get stuff done, which, you know, was totally unprecedented thing after unprecedented thing. So gotta love it. <laughs> yeah, I do think that is one thing that keeps people from, you know, the time commitment. Um, a lot of people who maybe are in different demographics are either busy or have kids or whatever it might be. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and I think that is a very real thing. And it's part of why in a lot of places, including in Oregon, there are people trying to like make those positions better compensated. So it can be your full-time job. Um, you know, no one's, it's still no one's trying to like get rich off of being a legislator, but it, you know, maybe they get like a median income of the state or something like that. So they can really focus full time on being a legislator instead of having to divide their time. So I know there's a conversation happening about that, like everywhere right now. And I think that's really important for, but of course, no one wants to like vote to increase their wages either, which is the problem. Um, <laughs> but I think it's like more people are talking about it, then they'll have the support they need to get that done. Um, 
Uh, but I also think, you know, when it comes to like political activism and political involvement, you, it really is a choose your own adventure level of activity, right? Like there are people who like go to every city council meeting and they like live tweet it out for transparency and they do that. And then there are also people who like have two hours once a month that they can go knock doors between now and November. And like, that's how I used to like gauge it with people. It's like, okay, like if you've got two hours to watch like Stranger Things on Netflix in October, can you instead spend those two hours knocking doors? And sometimes we need to watch Stranger Things for self-care, but sometimes, you know, right. <laughs> like if we can, if we can set aside that time, like two hours is like, you know, 80, 75 voter contacts if you're lucky. So that's, you know, again, in an election that swings by a hundred votes, that's pretty, that's pretty significant of the outreach that we can do in support of our candidates. So. Yeah, I know. And probably at least also we have a Facebook group where people like discuss issues or talk about, yeah, maybe like the cliff notes of city council meetings or whatever. And yeah, I think I, I used to record the city council meetings for Bravo when I worked for Bravo City. And sometimes it's six hours of nothing. And other times you're like, oh, really? They're making really big decisions and nobody's here to like talk about it. Yeah, so. like buying a waterfall fountain that doesn't work. <laughs> like the stupid, I think she snuck that in though. I think that was snuck into the butt because, but that was a big, you know, um, building the new city center, right? There was a lot of talk about it. And then they added the fountain, which is the worst, not even a fountain. I it's want fine. you to hijack the fountain. I bet you could hack the fountain. Well, the thing is, I, I know I could, but I don't know. Since it's like a government thing, I'm like, is that like a felony? <laughs> like, I don't, uh, don't want to go to get caught. Well, I, I've laid too much. There's too much evidence. Like, <laughs> if anybody messes like with it. Like this podcast that we were recording. <laughs> if anybody messes with it, I'm going to be the number one, uh, number one suspect. But it is like... You know, somebody else did the math that it's like $5 a citizen in Provo to purchase that fountain. So everybody needs to go and get their $5 worth. I'm trying to get extra content out of it so that in case anybody's not gotten their $5 worth, <laughs> I will. Um, but yeah, important decisions like that. Or like, I don't know, Provo, for a long time, it was like... uh should we let like a brewery come in because like Utah has a lot of interesting alcohol laws um, and different things that it's like you know however you feel about that but it's like in a place like Utah or Provo it's like a lot of stuff is decided just by people who are paying attention and have opinions and that's how we end up with like restaurants have to say if they're a restaurant or a bar with like a paper sign and yeah. I'm like I it's don't know it's very hard <laughs> to buy alcohol in Utah but it's the paper sign they all have to put up these paper signs yeah. that say this is a restaurant not a bar and you're like somebody just made that choice and it p passed right and six people voted on it or however many it was and so it's like yeah anyone can you know more or less anyone can like propose things and then all of a sudden there's these signs everywhere you know and so it's city council meetings that's all I'm saying I'm gonna say go to city council meetings because it's city council meeting go to your school board meeting and vote and vote and tell your friends to vote and if you hear something crazy about somebody who's running don't be afraid to tell people that right yeah. I think that's the other thing that is is just true is that people want to be polite and I get it we should all be kind to each other but if you hear that somebody is doing something really really harmful you need to tell people about it and not be afraid for like your one crazy aunt to be mad about it on your Facebook <laughs> right because your neighbors yeah. might not be paying attention and they might not know that this person who otherwise seems totally normal is you know a problem <laughs> yeah well and I was just talking to somebody who she was saying she's like we talked to you know there are a few people in their neighborhood she's like we talked to all our neighbors and we were like hey here's who we're voting for and here's why like for their like you know super local neighborhood and district elections and she's like and then all of a sudden like everybody has the signs out in their yard and everybody's like um you know it's not like they're like brainwashing people it's just like oh like we didn't know that like 
we all kind of like feel the same way about things. And so we're all going to vote the same way um, because we've had neighborly conversations about it. And she was like, yeah. And then all of a sudden, like our whole neighborhood is like one talking about things, which is important. And two, conveniently agreeing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but I think a huge thing is that they, she was just like, yeah, you just start talking to your neighbors because that's who it's going to affect. And I'm pretty bad at talking to my neighbors, but I like the idea of it. Yeah, it's super important. And also sometimes you have hard conversations with your neighbors and that's okay too, because maybe this time they're not going to vote for the person that you think is best, but then, you know, they know that you are a person who is like impacted by something and that is sometimes and like you can have hard conversations and still be respectful because it turns out that in person people are not as sassy as they are on twitter right so <laughs> in like real life when you tell someone oh like i'm really sad that you're supporting that candidate because they believe this thing that like is harmful to me they aren't like well now you're owned lib or like whatever like that's not how real humans have conversations they're like oh wow i never thought about it that way or like I, I, you know, it like people do change their minds when they get new information in real life when they're not like hiding behind a screen. So but yeah. that's interesting. Like you live and breathe political discussions, right? Where some people like avoid it like the plague. How did you get to a place like was that always easy and comfortable for you to just be so open about your like political viewpoints and stuff? Or did you have to like learn that and get comfortable with that? I think. I think a little bit of both. Um, you know, I've definitely always been pretty mouthy, um, as Lauren will attest, knowing me from since like I was a child. Um, but I think also part of getting older is learning the like gray areas and all of these things. And maybe things that like I feel uncomfortable about or like I, you know, wasn't as vocal about in the past, like realizing that like I am really fortunate today because I'm in a job where I can you know, like, I'm not going to lose my job for being a Democrat, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. my boss isn't going to fire me for, like, talking about how I support, you know, Joe Biden for president, um, and I know there's a lot of people who don't have that privilege, or, like, whatever the issue is, you know, I think especially in the last few years of, like, the racial justice reckoning that we're having, having in this country, and recognizing that, like, I have a position of privilege, and I both need to use that to like say uncomfortable things and also need to like use my platforms to like elevate other people's voices. Um, and that's been hard and I'm still learning and I'm still not perfect at it. Like I still mess up all the time. Like I posted a Facebook post like last week that someone was like, Hey, actually that's not true. And I was like, Oop. <laughs> you know, like things happen and you make mistakes, but, um, but also I'm also not perfect on, on social media. Like I definitely get snappy with people on social media. Um, but again, it's harder to do face-to-face. -face, and I think that's why part of what I love about my job is I get to travel all over the state. I get to talk with people, you know, we are not the Democratic Party of Portland. We're the Democratic Party of Oregon, right? So I get to drive out to rural Oregon and like do meetings there and meet with people who have very different life experiences than me and like, you know, figure out our, our, our places of agreement. And at the end of the day, I think most people have similar values of, you know, we want our kids to like go to good schools. We want to have access to healthcare when we need it. We want to have like good food. We want to be able to thrive in our communities and figuring out how we get there is where we have some variance. Um, of course, there are some people with like some pretty disgusting ideas about the world and we don't have to tolerate those and we don't have to pretend they're acceptable. But, <laughs> but I think for most average everyday people, we want to get to the same place and we just have to figure out how to get there. What would you say to people who have become, excuse me, what would you say to people who have been like uh, disenchanted with politics? They're just like, I can't do anything. I'm done. I'm checking out. Like, what would you tell them? I mean, I, I think it's important to have a bigger conversation with them about like why they're there. Cause that happens to people for different reasons, right? I think since 2020, there are some people who feel that way because they've been given a lot of really bad information and helping them find trusted resources that can get them to a place where they like, oh yeah, Joe Biden did win the election, it wasn't stolen. <laughs> you know, like helping helping them find validators that they trust that can help them get to that back to like a sensible place. Um, I think again, like finding anecdotes and stories about like, oh, well, you know, you really cared about this candidate and they lost by a thousand votes. But 
And so now you don't want to participate anymore. Totally get that. But guess what? The last time somebody ran against that incumbent, they lost by 10,000 votes. So you didn't win and it sucks, but like, look at how much progress is being made. And like now the party that you, that person is a member of, or like the organizers that are working with them, they've learned new things that they can help the next person do. And so whatever the, it, but at the end of the day, it's like, you have to have conversations with people and figure out the reasons why they're, they don't want to be involved. And sometimes those reasons are really valid. And like, the best we can do is be like, hey, I totally understand you don't want to go out and knock doors right now because this horrible thing happened to you that was like racist or was misogynist or you don't feel safe or whatever. But like, can we get you to vote? Like, can I help you get your ballot in? Can I help you do these things? And that is like the first step to maybe in six months when the next person comes to their door to knock on it, they're more willing to have a conversation because you came to them with a good place. Um, I will say, I do feel like I have to say in that context that like we are in like every election, the most important election of our lifetime, which I know people are really tired of hearing, but it just gets more and more true. And so I also really hope that if there are folks listening to this or having conversations that they're saying that from like a place of privilege and it's not for like a really good reason of like trauma, that like this is not the election to sit out. Um, like our right, people's rights are on the ballot this year across the country. Um, you don't have to be a Democrat to believe that, you know, elections are real and they matter. And there's some really scary people running for office in pretty much every state that we need to make sure that we're protecting our democracy, whether or not you agree with me about like who the president should be. I think we can all agree that, you know, we should support voting rights. And there are people out there who don't think that. So um, that is my big concern right now. And, uh, and you know, keeping people safe. So. Yeah, like what you said about people who lose but like got closer than anybody has before. Shout out to Becky Edwards in Utah. I'm like she ran a heck of a race to say something yeah. a Utahan would say. Um and uh but it, cuz it it was discouraging, you know, especially in this case where it's like um you know, anyway. <laughs> But, right, but think about but, how many people saw that election result and now know that there are that many people that agree with them that Mike Lee should not be in the Senate anymore, yeah. right? And she, and, and she did set records for running against an incumbent, running as a woman senator in Utah. And so I'm like, those are important. Like, yeah, after they like released all these stats and I'm like, she has like moved a needle, you know? And it's like- And it's important and it's real. Yeah. And right. so, you know, there are there is the black and white win or lose- but there's like there's just a lot of things that are happening that you can find like hope in or whatever it might be. And yeah, and even if somebody's not a perfect candidate one way or another, it's like exciting to see different kinds of people doing different things, you know, like all over. It's like because I think people get discouraged and we just feel like it's going to be more of the same, more of the same, more of the same. Whatever that sameness is, it's like, yeah, we just feel like nothing is changing um but if you take a step back you realize things are changing and things so much is changing yeah so much is changing right I mean if you think about what has happened in the last two years like it's been hard and we have to be real that it's been hard for people but also like we just passed like the biggest climate and infrastructure package in our country's history we've reduced childhood poverty by half like those are real things that have happened and <laughs> and like that happened in one election right? So think about, you know, what is going to happen in two elections, you know, like all of those things are very significant. You know, Utah having vote by mail is yes. like something that happened in an election. And there were people who didn't want it to happen. And it did. Um, you know, those things happen fast. And um, the, the political change that has happened in the six years that I've worked in politics has been astronomical right and that's because people are doing good work and sometimes we lose elections and sometimes the consequences of losing elections are really really bad mm -hmm. I think we all are aware of that <laughs> but but also we shouldn't give up just because we don't win on our first try and that in this like huge ecosystem it's like things are happening you know regardless of who is president things are happening all over regardless of um who's the senator like things are happening like we talked about in these different levels and these different movements and these different places and so it's like 
yeah, there could be a very discouraging one election, but there's all these other things that make up like how our country runs and, uh, and also the individuals, you know, how we treat each other. Um, despite our differences is also an important and complicated thing right now. I was just talking, I was just talking in a certain thing, um, in a, a, like a group chat and we're like, remember the things that we thought were controversial like uh yeah like what four years like four years ago and we're like now we're like (laughs) we never would have guessed like you know it's like every time you're like I can't believe we're arguing about this it's like you know what it's just as likely to change again in another you know two four years um but it is uh it is interesting how you're like oh yeah like we just keep you know just keep finding different things to uh argue about but like you said ultimately like everybody just wants almost everybody just wants good things for people yeah yeah we just have to figure out how to get there so that's that's the that's the problem is that there's different strategies or ideologies of how to get to that end result yeah and doing Mm -hmm. it the most ethical and financially responsible and you know like there's like all these elements of like yeah we kind of want right. a goal we want healthy communities we want healthy families healthy lives you know safe places it's like different yeah. paths to get there yeah why can't we all just get along I know I did yeah. I did like what you said about stories though like telling the stories because yeah. I know I just saw something I don't want to misquote whatever it was but you know a politician who had voted for something and then he heard a story about how that like and literally endangered somebody's life, right? And he's like, now I am rethinking what I voted for. And it's like, that's just the nature of things where it's like, you know, and and there's always stories on every side, right? But it's like hearing stories can like, that's what matters, right? It's like, I think a lot of our lawmakers and people in power are not affected by a lot of the laws they pass they're not affected by like you know like if you are like a rich well basically if you're a rich anyone laws don't affect you yeah and and I do say like I want to be like have a really big heart for people I do think that sometimes you know I think I know the story you're talking about about that legislator and the bummer thing is I know that that person got a million emails from people before that law was passed mm-hmm. and yeah, for sure. just chose not to ignore them and then now they're getting called out for their bad behavior and they're like whoopsie doops so I mean they're we can't hold legislators accountable when they do bad things um but I do think that's that's why knowing what's going on and getting that communication out in advance can really help I also think like there are places where we have differences of opinion on how to get to the same place and there are places where like there are facts and there are things that are not facts you know and so we do need to you know as voters and as citizens have take that's part of why it's so important that we take a little time when we're voting to like think through like if this person says like oh I'm the best person for teachers but the teachers union is like no you're not you voted against these five things that would have helped us in our classrooms like that's a fact right so that's not a difference of opinion it's a fact um and so I think we need to be ready to like have that critical thinking but um but yeah, I think, you know, I think there are people that just want to do the right thing and we need to help them find it. And I think, you know, in, in Oregon, which is definitely more of a blue state, it's a blue state because we've done that work here at the Democratic Party and, and there are folks trying to do that work everywhere. But I think whether your representative agrees with you politically, you know, red or blue or something else, as a constituent, you still have the right to like have a meeting with them and like connect with them and call their office and, you know, make your opinions heard. And you can do it in a respectful way. Like the interns answering the phone doesn't need to be screamed at, but, yes. <laughs> but I the only way huge. we're going to, you know, change minds is to, is to ha- try to have those hard conversations. And sometimes it won't make a difference, but sometimes it will. So they kind of yeah. make think of like, the whole reason we started this podcast, Lauren, well, not, well, one of the reasons is like sharing experiences, right? Like as you talk to people, as you hear lived experiences, as you hear and connect on a human level, 
it shapes your perspective. It changes, like it changes your, your view of the world. And um, I mean, kind of this whole objective of the podcast is talking to all these different people with different experiences. Like, you know, we've talked to a wide range of people and it's definitely changed like how I view the world. And, you know, like it just, I don't know. I, I, I just, that's what I've been thinking about the last few minutes is just how really, truly sharing your experiences, listening to others' experiences can definitely like connect and help in my opinion, make the world a better place. Cause it's like, I was talking to somebody the other day about this. I can't remember what it was, but they had some kind of topic and they're like, yeah, this is this. And I was like, actually, it's funny because in my mind, my experience with that topic, I don't know a single person who's actually like that. Like that's this image we want people to think, but my lived experiences with everyone else, like I've never met a person who's like that. I'm also, I'm being very vague. So that, but, but like, it's just, it, yeah, I know we have like our opinions of how a certain thing is, but then when you actually like engage with people, you're like, Oh, actually, I don't know a person who lives up to that stereotype or whatever. Like, but anyway, sharing experience. And, yeah. And you can have such a difference in your community and even in your own family Yeah, because you sharing, like, you know, where they're coming from in a different way. Right. So like, I, you know, student loan debt, that student loan debt forgiveness thing is just like life-changing for me and my husband. But I definitely have people even in my own family that are like, why are we doing this? And I'm like, well, because like the deck was stacked against our entire generation. And here's how much student loans that I have. And here's how much I've paid off. And here's how much I still have. Like the system is broken. It's not that people don't. And so like having that conversation with like people who I know, because I came from that same place, but now I've had a different experience than they have is so valuable. And it's how we can really move the needle on some really critical issues. Yeah, and I think that, um, yeah, just going back to, like, it being the stories, I think it just is so hard when, well, and I'm doing all these videos on, like, unconscious bias. Like, it's literally unconscious, unconscious, you know what I'm trying to say, yeah. that um, <laughs> that when I walk into a room, I'm bringing only my 33 years of lived experiences, and I've lived in, you know, like basically two cities my whole life um some abroad experience whatever but like you just can't know or even two people who yeah grow up in the same family you're not gonna have every experience you're not gonna understand every perspective and so for anyone to like walk in and be like oh I know what's best for everybody is a really tricky position to be in and on one hand I feel bad for all these leaders right because it's like that even ones that are doing their best can't know. The dog is being annoying. I love her. Um, even ones that try their best, right? They just have to acknowledge that, that they can't know everyone's experiences and with some of these issues. Um, yeah, sorry. I got distracted by the dog. I was going off on a whole thing. I, I love dogs. Yeah. But, uh, yes, no, I think that's I think that's very true though. Like everyone has a different experience, a different perspective and, you know, sharing those opinions and those perspective is central to making good decision makings for our communities and for our, you know, for our, our country, really. Like it's, it's critical sharing those experiences and perspectives and it's critical. And on that note, um, all of our, all of our guests, we ask them like, what is something they wish people knew? So, kind of on this, like, like you have all this wisdom, right? Your lived experiences. What would you share with the world? What was something you wish people knew? I wish people knew how easy it is to make a difference in the process in your communities. I think, you know, we've kind of talked about this and like Lauren told me this question was coming and I've obviously listened to the podcast. So I knew this question was coming, but you know, I think for me, it is really like how many city hall meetings have I been to where there's been like five people to testify. And if like one person got up and made like an impassioned story in the opposition, it would have made a difference. But instead there were just like five business owners that got up and said like, Oh, we support this. That's all I have to say. And if one person had been like, wait a second, no, this actually like impacts how my kids get to school and that's a problem, it would have had an impact. And so I think it's so easy to feel like a small little fish that can't like do much in the big pond, but you really can have a really big impact 
um, by just showing up about the issues you care about and you don't have to show up about everything and you don't have to exhaust yourself. Um, we all, all only have like so much time in this world, but if there are things you care about, you shouldn't let other people make the decisions for you. Oh, I love that. Oh, oh I, I love that. If there are the city council that... meetings, yeah. Yeah. I love that. it really wow. is the same five people. If you're in Provo, go to the city council. I mean, I'm a hypocrite, but go to them. Yeah. And don't yell at the staff. They're just nice people who need a paycheck. Please don't yell at me. <laughs> yeah, I do worry. I see some TikToks going around of like people. Yeah. Like leaving messages for senators and stuff. And then, or like, but yeah, they're talking to the staff and I'm like, be nice. Yeah. You leave a message, express your opinion. All they do is make like a tally mark of like in favor or against when you call the U S when you call Congress. Um, <laughs> um, but like, you know, just call and say that you're a constituent and like what your opinion is and be nice to the 22 year old that answers the phone <laughs> who is making like minimum wage. <laughs> Great thoughts. I love that. Great thoughts. Thank you so much for joining us and yeah, for being involved in your community yeah. and inspiring us. I do really think, I think that's like the biggest point you could hit home. So I appreciate you saying that, that like in some cases, you know, you're one, all, in all cases, your voice matters, but in some cases your voice could really matter, yeah. make a difference. Yeah. And send your kids to summer camp. Send your kids life. to summer camp. Man, I was gonna ask you, what's your favorite camp song? Oh shoot. That's a really that's really impossible. That's an impossible question. There's no answer to that question. It's, it's controversial. My niece was singing like a different version of Black Sox. Absolutely not. And I was like, no, these things or a language. I guess it just gets passed down. <laughs> um well. Okay, I a quick a quick sidebar on that. Um, when I when we were working at YMC camp, um, you know uh, our camp director at the time her name was Moose. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a camp name. Um, she is an elementary school teacher in her day job, but she was writing her doctoral thesis or was like planning on writing a doctoral thesis on the etymology of camp songs and like mm -hmm. how they like develop because there are so many different versions of camp songs. But camp songs are great. They're really good for your development. And going to camp is good for kids and for teens who work at them. And that was what my senior thesis was about in college, was about developmental growth for teens in camp. So send your kids to camp, let your kids work at camp. They'll only like kiss a couple of boys behind the bushes, but I'll be fine. <laughs> there you go. Full circle. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for joining Thanks. us. And Have everybody else, we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>